never like I never like I never like I never like Sexual Assault Awareness Month, we at the Queenish Podcast decided that we would create a special episode where we talk about a more serious issue that impacts our society. Our special guest is the founder of a nonprofit called No Is Not Enough, alumni of the University of South Carolina. She was a top 15 finalist in the Miss America competition, and she is the reigning Miss North Carolina of 2019. She has dedicated her life to encouraging sexual assault awareness survivors to speak out and decrease the number of sexual assault cases. We would like to give a warm welcome to Alexandra Badgett. Hi, Hello, hello. hi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were chatting a little bit earlier, but I take it you're healthy during the quarantine, everything's well. Yes, healthy. I am blessed to be healthy, just now trying to figure out ways to keep myself busy <laughs> um, and transition into the whole um, virtual reality that is now. <laughs> yeah, well, I need to take a page out of your book because you're outside. I have not been going yes. outside <laughs> Oh, no, I had to go outside. This is my, like, safe space. I can get out of the house, look at a different four walls, so I'll take it when I can, and it's beautiful today. Yeah, I agree. And you look radiant, so that's... Oh, a- well, thank you. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask you a few questions for this special episode. Sexual assault awareness is something that's very personal to me. um, And I definitely wanted to include an episode like this on my podcast, just so that more people are aware. But I also know that you have a very, very great perspective on the topic and a lot of important insight to give to the general public. And so Um, I first wanted to ask you, how did you decide that you wanted to focus your advocacy on sexual assault survivors? Um, I had a class at the University of South Carolina. It was an honors class, and they required us to get involved in the community. And they had different nonprofits that we had to pick from. And nobody had chosen the sexual trauma services of the Midlands. And so from there, I was like, okay, um, that means that I'm the one that's supposed to take on that task. And I think growing up, I've always learned or strived to be a voice for those that I felt went unheard. Um, And this was a beautiful platform to do that. And so I started training to be a advocate, a hospital and hotline advocate. And during that training, I found that a lot of the things I was learning, I wish I knew just as a student on campus and as a citizen in the community. And so I wanted to bring that knowledge back um, to my community. And that's how No Is Not Enough began. And this organization has just given me the platform to continue to expand. Yeah, and that's all wonderful. I wish more people would... um take the opportunity to talk about, I hate the word controversial, but like maybe a little bit topics where it it impacts more people than we're willing to admit. And, you know, with all of the, um, you know, rise of the presence of the Me Too movement and all the things that are going on in our uh, pop culture now, I just feel like more than ever, it's important to have people like you who are just open and honest and willing to talk about this issue, because I think that that will encourage more people to just take a stand against it and promote more change. So, um, oh, well, thank you. (laughs) No problem. No problem. (laughs) You were a perfect candidate for this episode. So, (laughs) yeah, so I, 
also wanted to ask you just what have been the greatest challenges that you've experienced with bringing awareness to this issue with it being such a heavy topic? Well, as you said, yeah, it is a very touchy topic. And I don't think I really experienced kind of the hesitation or I don't really, I think I expected the hesitation that I received from different people when I did start reaching out. Um, so I started my platform in Columbia, South Carolina, because that's where I was in undergrad. And my big push there was not only looking into the University of South Carolina, um, but also partnering with local establishments so that if there were students in bars or students at restaurants that felt like they needed um, somebody to reach out to, whether the researchers were on the bathroom or on the mirror or nearby so they could see them. And I think that's when I first realized that, okay, <laughs> remember, you are working with a touchy topic here. And so you had some business that were more inclined to jump on board and team up and others that were a little bit more hesitant. Um, once I've gotten back to North Carolina, I kind of transitioned my platform more to colleges and universities mm -hmm. and kind of the same type of resistance you could see just depending on the university and the campus. Um, I had an intern, Abigail, who was helping me reach out to colleges. And I remember one time she called and she was like, they just will not respond. Like they will not pick up the phone. They will not answer me. I have emailed, I have left messages. And it was the first time she kind of saw the same thing that I had been seeing, that some people are gonna want to help. Um, some people are going to make this a priority and other people just think the topic's too sensitive to really acknowledge with anybody other than their inner circle. So it's, it's been some challenges. I, I would like to say that a lot of the universities in North Carolina have been um, very helpful and mm -hmm. really wanting to get on board with the initiatives that Noah's Not Enough has. So that's been a blessing and very fortunate, but still have a lot more schools to reach. <laughs> right, right. And I, speaking from personal experience with attending university, that is where I did encounter se a sexual assault to myself. And so, um, I feel like especially focusing on college campuses is important because people don't realize how dangerous it can be to be on a college campus. And while it's right. important for people to um, attend college and be educated, uh, it's also important for people to recognize that, you know, this is the real world and you don't right. know what can happen and it's just important to protect yourself. And so, um, Again, fantastic that you're focusing in on that because that I feel like is where change is potentially going to be the greatest is on college campuses by bringing more awareness. More people will be more cautious going to school. Yeah, exactly. And just changing that environment, I think the biggest issue that we do face and the reason we do have so many assaults on college campuses is just the environment in itself, whether that's students trusting the administration to report, um, students having that respect for one another, and also students understanding boundaries. And I think once you can initiate that on both perspectives, both the female and the male perspective, you start creating this environment to where nobody thinks it's okay for somebody to be sexually assaulted. They speak up and they use their voice for what they know is right. And so that's been my biggest push. And being, you know, one that did just recently graduate, it was a beautiful opportunity for me to reach that audience and work with my university and my campus. Mm, right. Again, I thank you so much for it. And so yeah. uh, 
a follow-up question I did want to ask you is, do you believe that our society is changing, especially as we mentioned earlier with public figures like Harvey Weinstein being convicted and R. Kelly being arrested for sexual crimes? Do you feel like we're taking a step in the right direction? Absolutely. I think any time that somebody uses their voice and it's heard and they receive, you know, justice for what they've done, I think that that is a step in the right direction when somebody feels like they've used their voice and it's been heard. Um, and so by all means, do I think this is going to continue to allow us to progress in the direction that we need to? I think more individuals are realizing that this is something that's going to be taken seriously mm -hmm. and not only taken seriously personally, but taken seriously in our court system as well. Um, and I know that a lot of people have been flawed by our court system or, you know, gone and recorded or talked to people and feel like they've talked to the right people and it ended up not being um, put or swayed in their direction. Everything was covered up in order to protect the other individual. And so just making sure that we do have those opportunities um, and do allow individuals to feel safe and that there are people that are there to listen to them and trust them. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me how the focus, especially in our um, our justice system, is towards protecting people who are being accused. I mean, I think that it's good to weigh out the possibility that someone might be putting out a false accusation, but I also think it's very harmful to people who are actual victims in, in these crimes that because a person has a certain um, amount of wealth, social status, that they are almost overlooked as somebody who would potentially be in a situation like that, that they would risk what they have for the sake of, um, you know, having sexual relations with some other individual. It almost makes it seem like having money makes you uh, a better person, which is it's mm -hmm. a weird thing to wrap my head around that our society thinks that way. But exactly. And I think that the other thing that people fail to realize when you talk about um, false accusations is there are roughly less than 2% of false accusations um, annually. And so I think when you look at that and you look at those numbers and think of how many individuals are being sexually assaulted, I mean, there are one in five women and one in 16 men on college campuses. And then when you look at numbers overall, it's one in three women and one in four men in their lifetime. That, those are huge numbers. Um, and so to sit and say, okay, roughly 2% of accusations are false and we're going to center our focus on those and kind of deter from the big message and what's important. Um, that's what I always say in regards to those questions, because I do have individuals that say, well, yes, we do need to believe the victim, but we also have to take into consideration the individuals that aren't telling the truth. And I'm like, the percentage <laughs> is so small. Um, nobody would want to put themselves through that situation or even allow this false impression that they have been put through that situation. And so that's why I think we definitely need to do a better job of listening to individuals when they do speak up. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. And that's a perfect transition into the next question of, do you think that the increased influence of, of the Me Too campaign is causing more false accusations of sexual assault? I don't. Um, I think 
like I just said, you look at the numbers and you look at the percentages and it's just hard. Um, for me, I'm a numbers person, I'm a stats girl. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to look at those numbers and want to transition my focus um, to those individuals and those that are more focused on the accusations that are false. Um, for me, I think the Me Too movement and the beautiful thing that came from the Me Too movement was the um, relationship that individuals were able to gain and gather and that there was somebody else there that had been through what they've been through. And somebody else said, even if you weren't ready to use your voice, I will, and I'll speak up for us until you're ready. Um, it gave this, it gave this push and this momentum of individuals feeling like, okay, my voice is important, and this is the time for my voice to be heard. Um, so no, I wouldn't say that it caused more false accusations by any means. If anything, it just influenced more people to come forward and for individuals that have been pushing this issue aside and haven't been focused or looking into the issue at, at its numbers and looking at the issues that we have today, when all these people are coming forward, then they do think that it's false because they're saying, oh, there's no way this happened to all these people. Um, but when you look at the numbers, it's like, well, yes, it did. It's just something that we haven't really focused on. Right. And I felt the need to ask that question because I don't know if you've heard of um, this channel on YouTube called The Middle Ground by chance? No, I haven't. Okay, well, I binge watch YouTube videos more than I probably should, but uh, <laughs> Middle Ground is a channel where they like to have discussions on, again, taboo, controversial topics, and sexual assault, the Me Too movement, was an episode that they decided to do. And so during this episode where they had um, one side that was in support of the Me Too movement and another side that wasn't in support, um, I just found it to be very interesting one, that there are people that don't support the Me Too movement and don't look at it as a good thing. Uh, but I also found it to be really interesting that the people who didn't support the Me Too movement felt like it was doing more harm to our society than good. And so, again, I'm somebody who doesn't mind uh, hearing things from different perspectives. I do like to um, take all perspectives into consideration before making a decision. And so I felt that a question like that was very thought-provoking, you know, and that somebody saying that, oh, well, the Me Too movement is causing uh, more a rise in sexual assault accusations that are false, it, it was a very uh, out-there perspective I wasn't expecting to hear from anybody on the right. matter. And I think that anytime there's change or something's different or something causes stir, um, there's going to be individuals that feel as if, okay, we need to stop what we're doing, or okay, this is a bad thing. Um, change scares a lot of people. And when you have a room full of women who have entered a courtroom and are standing there using their voice, that's going to scare people. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. but it is. <laughs> you know, right. that's going to scare people. So anybody, you know, that doesn't really understand um, the situation or understand the climate or the environment that we are in, I'm sure they do think that this can be a negative thing because. It, it's not a good thing. Like, it's, it, we shouldn't have this many women able to come forward and say that this has happened to them. So, no, it's not a good thing. It has mm -hmm. caused the stir. Um, but I think that that's the, that's the positive part, is that people are using their voices. And if we continue that direction and we continue that rise, then more people will come forward and less people will feel um, that they have this safe place to commit these crimes in the first place. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I kind of look at the Me Too movement is like a parallel between the civil rights movement, you know, just the impact mm -hmm. that it has obviously is going to 
cause people to reject the ideas, cause people to rebel against the movement. So, I mean, I guess I shouldn't put it past anybody to, you know, not be in support of the campaign, right. despite it being a wonderful thing, because they did the same mm -hmm. thing with the civil rights movement. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I did also want to ask in that same episode, um, there was a mention that um, there needs to be clarification on the different terms that you use to label what a situation is, whether it's um, a rape, a sexual assault, whether it's just simple flirting or catcalling. So I did want to ask, do you think that it's important for our society to distinguish differences between these terms like rape, sexual assault, flirting, etc.? Is it safe to blur the lines between these terms? Um, I think that it's, it's very important to distinguish the difference between those terms, but I don't think just because they may have different definitions, that means that somebody's feelings or what somebody went through is any less minute than somebody else, you know? Um, anytime I go and speak to students, if I'm talking about my platform and educating them on sexual assault, I always talk about the difference between sexual harassment and sexual assault and the difference between, you know, catcalling and inappropriate touch and being able to say, okay, this makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, if this is something that is making me uncomfortable and I've asked somebody to stop and it is hindering me from being able to do what I want to do um, and hindering me from feeling safe, then I need to speak up for myself. And I think, of course, it's important to distinguish the difference between those and so individuals can accurately um, tell their story, um, whether that's a survivor who's trying to explain what happened to them um, and they're detailing their situation, say they use the wrong term. Well, then somebody may try and hold that against them for whatever they have um, to come. And so I think it's important that we do distinguish between those terms so that all individuals are aware, all individuals are educated. Um, but also, I don't think that just because those things may have different meanings, it makes one less minute or makes one smaller um, than another one. I 100% agree with that. I do feel like to question, you know, why are these terms, you know, being used interchangeably? I mean, I think that it's important to distinguish them, but it does also bring you know, attention to the fact that people can then take the differences between these terms and almost make it seem like one is, you know, not, you know, as important of the other. They're all important. It's all, it's all bad and, and it's unacceptable. So I think when people, if people look at it if with that mindset, it just makes things a lot easier again on the victims, um, but also the people who are being falsely accused. So I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to distinguish. But um, I did also, to conclude with the questions related to sexual assault, what's a word of advice that you would give to anyone that is struggling with coming to terms with being sexually assaulted? Um, a few things. <laughs> I think the first thing is that everybody has their own timeline, and it's really important to say that. Um, just you may not be ready to use your voice. You may not be ready to share your story and that's okay. You know, your time is your own. And with time, I know it sounds so cliche with time, things will get better. Um, but I'm a firm believer in a village 
And I always say that if you don't feel like you have a village, you officially have a village in me. Um, I'm always one that would love to be able to not only provide resources for myself for like on my end, but allow you to connect um, with resources that we have, not only across the state, but across the nation. Um, my main goal with No Is Not Enough is to be able to provide this website where individuals can go on and access resources, access um, counselors, access um, whether that's lawyers, attorneys, um, anybody they may need in order to assist them in their process and their journey. And so if you do need somebody, there are so many different um, centers and coalitions and individuals there to provide you resources, especially during these hard times. Um, so many people don't think about the fact that because we are in our homes during this time, so many individuals may be stuck in their houses when normally work may have been their outlet or school mm -hmm. may have been their outlet. Um, and so please, please, please utilize these resources when you can. If you do not feel safe where you are, find somebody that can allow you to find a safe place during these hard times. Um, and lastly, I guess when we think of <laughs> advice, I've talked about resources, I've talked about your timeline. Um, also, just being able to find that person. I think it's so important to be able to find somebody that you feel safe with and somebody that you trust to be able to reach out to. Um, I always tell my young kids, even if that's not a parent, whether that's a family friend, whether that's a teacher, um, communicate with them and know that things are going to get better and there are people out there that are rooting for you and know that you are loved and you are valued and somebody's here to support you, whether you are with them physically, just know that I'm always here, I'm always praying, and I'm keeping each and every one of you and myself encouraged. Yeah, and I, again, appreciate that advice that you gave, especially applying it to my own situation, because um, when I was in school and the sexual assault did happen, I, one, didn't know about all the resources that are out there, and, you know, I think that that's something that a lot of individuals can say is that they just aren't aware of it and so that's why it's just so important for people like you who have platforms where they provide all these resources to be readily available because i do feel like with our school system they could do better at letting everybody know about what's out there and what what to what to utilize in a timely manner because you know like you said earlier with timing that was another thing that i struggled with i didn't come to terms with the fact that I was sexually assaulted until months after it happened. And by then, when it was time to act on the resources that were available to me, it was very difficult to really push my case. I didn't even know that there was a women's resource center for women who are dealing with uh, sexual assault, domestic violence, you know, readily available to me in my city right. when I went to school. And so, you know, again, by the time that I had gotten there and, and told everybody what had happened, you know, really the case didn't really go anywhere. And it was very um, discouraging, I think, for me to want to continue on with the process of trying to, you know, take it to other measures in order to bring okay. to justice the individual who sexually assaulted me at my university. And, you know, as far as having a person that was uh, someone I could talk to about it, again, I just didn't know that that was something that was important until after the fact. I didn't even tell my parents about it until after I tried to go to the resource. So 
you know, all these things that you mentioned are just so important. And, you know, I just hope that anybody that's listening to this episode that might be experiencing it will listen to the insight that you've given and, you know, really take it into account and really take note of it and take it seriously. It's, it's okay to admit that this has happened to you because you're not alone in that. Right. And I think that a lot of people feel fearful about talking about it because they do feel like it's just them. Despite the fact that things like, you know, Harvey Weinstein and R. Kelly being convicted and arrested are happening publicly, people still feel like a small piece of that. They don't feel significant enough to bring the issue to light. So um, I just want to, again, thank you for everything that you said, because it's helped me, you know, even a year after it's happened, it's helped me to just like think about how to heal and cope with the experience moving forward. So um, to close out the interview, uh, <laughs> I know that this well, is before you close out, no, I just want to um, thank you for using your voice and using your platform to spread awareness and to share this message and, you know, for turning something into, turning darkness into light and, allowing that to shine ever since I've met you I've always been like okay yes I want to be Diane okay yes this is great and as soon as I heard um, about this I was just honored to be a part of something like this so thank you for using your voice and thank you for using your platform because you have also helped me um, always always uh, inspiration and motivation um, to continue pushing forward and continue the momentum that is no is not enough so thank you <laughs> you're gonna make me cry on like this recording and I'm not trying to start crying I don't like to show emotion in <laughs> sorry and I'm just a big like I'm a sap I'm like a big ball of tears so <laughs> and I am that way too and I'm having a hard time accepting that um, <laughs> but this is good. This is healthy. You know, the discussion that we're having and the emotions. Absolutely. I always, I always joke with my friends whenever we start having like the emotional girl time. I'm like, oh, there's too much estrogen in the, in <laughs> <laughs> too many hormones going on around us. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, to close out this, uh, episode i do like to ask all of my guests that come onto the podcast just a few tailored questions that are more related to the queenish podcast um and so <laughs> the first question is do you feel like you've become the woman you measure to yourself to be oh gosh um, <laughs> i definitely think i have a lot more growing to do like just as a person, I'm 23 years old. So I think that for me, I'm always one of those. I love to appreciate the moment that I'm in, but I'm also always looking forward to what's next um, and envisioning that. And so I still see a lot of growth, whether that's with my nonprofit, no, it's not enough, whether that's career-wise. So no, I definitely think I have some more work to do, but I think I'm on the right track. Um, just being the little girl who was always picked on for being skinny and tall and glasses and buck teeth and loving math um, to, and really insecure in that because I was picked on all the time about it to now growing into um, the confident individual that I am today. I think that's 
the part that I always envisioned or always hoped that I could get to. Um, but I definitely still have some more growing to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we can all relate to that. Everything. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> have some growing to do, girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, second question. What is your definition of a queen? Okay, so listen, I saw this question and I was like, oh my goodness, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> and I thought like for a long time and was really trying to think of like this, this simple definition. And I think it's so hard because I look at so many individuals that I would consider queens and I would describe them all so differently. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but I think one of the consistencies between all of them is the confidence that they bring to the table um, and not in a way that is I don't want to say it doesn't make you feel small like it's not in a way that's intimidating but in a way that's empowering and encourages you to want to do more and it inspires you to want to be greater and do better than you could have imagined. I think that would be my definition of a queen, somebody that allows what they have on the inside to shine out and inspire other people. That's a great definition. Thanks. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that you wouldn't have any answer the question. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, this is hard. <laughs> it seems like an easy question, but then it's like, wow, this is yeah. I would apply to almost anyone. That's a lot to think right. about. <laughs> but um, third and final question. Okay. Ready. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you for your services? So I know you mentioned your website. Oh, if you want yeah. to mention that and any platforms, so social media that you have, username, etc. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my website for my nonprofit is www.noisnotenough.net. And that website, at least right now, the functionality allows you to go on and find a trauma center that's close to you based on your county. Um, and it gives you the information so that you can then be able to contact them if you do need resources. Um, still has some growing to do, but um, have, have a lot of, <laughs> still has a lot of functionality and a lot of things that can be helpful and beneficial. And also shares a little bit more about No Is Not Enough and about myself. Um, social media wise, I am on Instagram under Miss America NC. Also, my personal is Alexandra Badgett. And then on Facebook, it's also Miss America NC. And then I don't really use Twitter, but there's also the Miss America NC Twitter. <laughs> um, so, all platforms for Miss North Carolina are Miss America NC. And then my personal Instagram is at Alexandra Badgett. So if you ever need anything, if you ever just need somebody to talk to, if you ever have any questions, um, or you just want a new friend and you want to follow me, <laughs> um, definitely visit those platforms. I'm always accessible there. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being a part of the episode. And of course. it was a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. And stay safe. Stay sane. Keep your mental health in check. <laughs> um, that's for everybody out there listening. Never like, never like, never like, never like.